Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Walkle. Walk, I, I messed up your first name. <laughs> and we're live. I, we, we did some coaching on the last name. All my listeners know I butcher last names on a regular basis. Then I tongue tied Walker. So Walker, and it's, you, I'm going to let you do your last name just because I Dibble, just pushed Walker Dybald. Walker Dybald. So now we got that, right? Walker, Walker is actually the best selling author of the book, Buy Then Build How to Acquisitions Entrepreneurs Outsmart the Startup Game which released to critical acclaim, including being recognized by Forbes as one of the top seven books of all entrepreneurs must read. It is currently being used in multiple universities as a textbook for entrepreneurship through acquisition. Walker acquired seven companies outright over a 10-year period, resulting in having operated in many industries, including manufacturing, fulfillment, software, education, entertainment, and e-commerce. He's also started companies from scratch, enjoyed two exits, and made almost two dozen minority acquisitions. He's a serial entrepreneur and a partner with Quiet Light, where he helps online-based businesses exit, and the creator of Acquisitions Lab, which helps first-time business buyers with world-class education, coaching, tools, and community to create the world, uh, world's first do-it-with-you-by-side advisory experience. Thank you for being on our show, Walker. That was a bunch of spit out, but I think I got it. <laughs> Ron, thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Cool. Uh, one of the first things I always ask everybody is kind of tell us your origin story. What, how did you get into this space? What made you become an acquisitions entrepreneur? Uh, Ron, it's because I'm a really bad entrepreneur. Let's just call it what it is, right? <laughs> so, so, so um, okay, let, let, let's kind of take it from the top. I mean, you know, first of all, I, I, like the origin story, like just going all the way back. All right. Um, uh, if you were to take sort of my my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family, um, I grew up in a situation where uh, my, my dad's side of the family was all small business owners. Right. And when I say small business owner, I mean that it's what was going on in the 70s and 80s and 90s. There wasn't like this entrepreneurship thing. We didn't call it that. Right. Um, and then and then on my mom's side, it was it was a lot of um, uh, academics and artists. Right. And so it's this sort of um, um, I, don't, I don't know, not, not dichotomy, but 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 sort of, you know, a, a straddle, if you will, in my family of two sides of, of, of the world. And so I, I grew up in that space and um, it was all about, like, how can we create something cool, but also make it sort of economically sustainable? Right. Now, that, that was sort of like the ultimate background if I really got into it. Um, you know, from there, what I would say is let's just go ahead and fast forward um, to business school. All right. So. I was getting my my MBA, and and you know what? There's something there's something I need to mention before that. This is an origin story, after all, right? <laughs> right. So so um, I I get I ended up majoring in college in religious studies and English literature. Okay, and everyone's like, what do you, you know? What do you want to do with that? And I'm like, well, I'm going into business, and they're like, why don't you study business? And I'm like, what's well, stupid? It's like buy low, sell high. Like, what else do you want to know? <laughs> like, manage people. And the thing is, if you really look into it, uh, more CEOs have an English degree than any other degree. Okay. 
right? Now that information is about 15 years. Old. I don't know if that's true today, uh, but but the concept is that you know uh, uh, communication and the ability to write um, is ranked very high in terms of uh, being able to successfully operate a business, right? That was not exactly why I was doing it. I just wanted a liberal arts background. I became a stockbroker right out of college, okay? And um, I was a, a stockbroker. I got the, you know, the as licensed by the SEC and all the rest of it. And the point here is I got a great opportunity to learn the public markets, right? And I advised people on asset allocation and, you know, like, like option strategies and just, you know, executing trades, et cetera. And um, that was really fun during the tail end of the tech boom and really not fun during the tech bust where they pulled me off and sort of assigned me to being the recipient of the inbound margin call. So basically people would get a margin call and, and they're like, you're screwed, you owe us money, we're gonna sell your securities starting at like noon. And they'd call back and I'd answer the phone and they're like crying, they're yelling, it's like whatever, terrible, right? Um, but that was really good, you know, early, early exposure. Um, I'll skip a little bit and I'll get myself in a business school at, 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 at Olin, uh, at Washington University in St. Louis. So I'm going to B school and um, I wanted to use it, Ron, as like a resume shield, right? Like we all know that, you know, starting a business is, is hard. It's time consuming. Um, you're really not making any money at the beginning. Uh, and uh, even still in, in the sort of like early noughts, like 2000s, the sort of resume gap of like, oh yeah, I went out and started a business. If, if the business wasn't successful, it kind of sounded like a lie, right? So, so I used business school as this sort of, you know, resume shield to kind of try to launch a business. And it was during that time that we really got um, a lot of traction and momentum around uh, one of my first startups. And um, it was called 3D Media. And we had licensed uh, you know, today when you go to the movie theater and it's real 3D and you put the glasses on and, you know, so we had that same technology for point of purchase advertising. Okay. And we had a national retailer who wanted to, to, you know, bring it, uh, launch it nationwide. We had investors starting to line up. We were in, we were in a finalist in a business plan competition. Like everything was going absolutely fantastic. Uh, so much so that, you know, I was not, doing the normal MBA thing, which is looking for a job. I was like, no, man, this is going to work. There aren't, there is no plan B, like we're going to do this. And uh, what happened was um, the month of graduation, uh, the, the owner of the patent uh, pulled the license from us. And I went from, you know, sort of co-founder of this like really exciting, promising startup to, um, you know, no longer a student and, unemployed. Okay. It's really what it was. Right. Right. And, and so I was like, okay, look, I mean, every time I look, let, let me fast forward a little bit and talk back. So, so it's, it's one of these where every single time I try to start a company, okay. It has never worked out. All right. And I've, and I've taken a few at bats and we all hear that it's all about at bats. Okay. And hopefully, hopefully the acquisition lab, my new ironically startup around helping people buy businesses is, is the, the little thing that makes the big difference. And I think we've got it right this time. We're a couple years in now. But the point here is that um, I started to really look at the data. Okay. And the thing is, is that starting a business from scratch is punishment for not understanding statistics. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> the odds it's, like, that it's like the lottery ticker, right? Yeah, punishment for right. being bad at math. That's right. And it's just like, it's it, the odds of a startup completely failing 
are immense, right? I mean, we all sort of know the axiom that, you know, 90% of startups fail. Okay, fine. Let's pretend that that's true. Okay. Um, what, what's little, what's less well-known, much less well-known is what does it look like when you succeed? Right. And I started to realize that startups that succeed, 96% of them never exceed a million dollars in annual revenue. Think about that for a minute. Okay. So 90% chance of complete failure. If you're in the 10% that make it, 96% of them will never achieve a million dollars in revenue. Okay. So I started thinking to myself, okay, when I was going to B school, a million dollar revenue company was so small that I would just ignore it. Right. Like this isn't even at, at capacity yet. But the truth is, is when you start looking at statistics, it's where the proof of product market fit starts to trigger. Right. And so if I've got a company doing, you know, 500,000, 700,000 in revenue, it's kind of suggesting that I'm the business, right? I mean, I'm working in the business. Usually it's, it's, it's you know, a small company and, and et cetera. But once you exceed that million dollar mark, it's, a, it's one of those little milestones that is actually tremendously separates the wheat from the chaff. So I decided in 2004, what I wanted to do was reverse the equation. I knew that there was a way that I could buy a business. I just had no idea how to do it, right? And so... A lot of people thought that I was a little crazy, um, and that's probably because I am, right? But but the but the, the thing here is that um, I realized, like, okay, if I can go out and buy a company, even if it's just doing a million, two, three million in revenue, that's actually miles away from a startup. And yes, it won't be sexy, right? It, it's not going to be one of these software, you know, you know, startups with you know everyone's giving away equity, at, you know, because it's not worth anything, but it's worth everything, etc. Um, you know, it would, it would be something that would be unsexy but would have revenue, would have infrastructure, would be cash flow positive, would be bankable, would have customers, and I could own all of the equity of the company. That was the goal, right? Be a big fish in a small pond rather than trying to create a market out of nothing. Okay, and this was back in 2004. Um, in 2018, um, I released Buy Then Build. Okay, my, my book. I got the the idea for Buy Then Build. Oh, thank you, Ron. Thank you. <laughs> I, I got the idea for Buy Then Build <laughs> in 2004 when I started to realize that there was no good information out there. I started to realize that this was a this was a a, a much more sustainable business model than startup entrepreneurship. I realized that it was the fastest route to the corner office than any sort of you know middle management traditional MBA kind of kind of line of work. And I also found out that it was it was probably the most direct way to building wealth for most people, right? Owning a company and ultimately being able to sell assets or is the thing that creates tremendous wealth, right? And so I, I started to think like, man, this is like such an un, a, a not not understood segment. So I, Ron, I decided I was going to go out and buy a business. Okay, so here I am, freshly minted MBA, totally unemployed. Um, and I just started, you know, reaching out into my network. I started calling business brokers. I started, you know, net networking with with uh, uh, service, you know, providers to businesses, CPAs and whatnot, you know, and basically just trying to figure out in, interviewing people that had done it, you know, all, all of this kind of thing, looking for any kind of resources. I started talking to my MBA professors and they were like, that is the dumbest idea. You absolutely shouldn't do that. Right. And um, uh, Ron, I completely failed. I spent months and months and months and it was like, dude, I got to pay the bills. I went corporate. 
Okay. I went corporate. I did the thing. And, um, I, I got a job and, you know, just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fairly driven individual and, and achievement driven. And so I, I, um, you know, absolutely, uh, uh, did, did fantastic there. Uh, but, but ultimately, uh, I decided, you know, why am I working so hard to build somebody else's company, to build somebody else's equity, to build somebody else's brand? And my kind of aha moment came when corporate was doing a really bad job communicating to, you know, the sales team. And what, and I realized and what I did was I built a model that, that helped explain what they were trying to do so that, so that the salespeople could punch into the model, all of the different, uh, variables to punch out essentially how to make and what, what levels, what, what units they needed to move to, in order to change that. Okay. So what activities do I need to do to make the money that I want? That's it. I built a model, starts sharing it. And the next thing I knew was, um, I, I, you know, I was flown out to somewhere regionally for the team and I was brought into a room and my manager uh, started using my model to explain to me, like, you know, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like now I'm doing your job too, you know, you know, so, so, I mean, you know, it, 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 kind of an egotistical late twenties kind of, kind of moment. Right. But, but the thing was, was I started looking for a business again, part-time. All right. Um, I, I want to come back to how this, how this actually happened, but I ended up, um, acquiring, um, a book printing company. Okay. And again, we're going to backtrack to that. I don't want to skip over that story. I ended up, uh, uh, acquiring a book printing company that was doing about 8 million in revenue. All right. And I learned a few things. Number one, um, the first thing that I wanted to do was actually buy an online business. Okay. Because when I started to look at the sort of like earnings to revenue and revenue to employees, it was just blowing everyone else out of the water. Moreover, I started realizing that if I wanted to, to sell an online business, there was no geographic restrictions. And so really I could sell that business one day to anyone in the world, right? And so I really liked uh, the sort of lightweight business model of these online businesses that were forming around you know, to, you know, 2008 through 2010. Um, but the but I couldn't get any financing, right? Like uh, you know, owners getting owner financing on those deals wasn't wasn't happening, not not by and large, and isn't today by and large, um, you know. And 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 so, but the thing was was that I could get massive amounts of bank financing if I acquired a company that had assets, right? And so as long as there was a balance sheet that was strong, then I'm going to acquire a company, okay? I let me say this more directly. I could not buy a $400,000 online business, but I could buy an $8 million printing company. Okay. So that was number one. Number two, everyone in my age group was running away from the printing business. It was, it was that time where it was like print is dead. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you know, like, you know, and, and, and like anyone who owned a printing business, like none of their kids wanted to do it. Right. And so I walked into this industry and I would go to the conferences and everything. And I was the youngest person in the room by about 20 years. Okay. But here's the thing. Um, what I saw in terms of online uh, book purchasing was driving a couple of, of huge uh, trends. Number one was digital book printing. Okay. Which was a new way of manufacturing books. And number two was um, 
the, the, the ISBN number had never been higher and it was growing exponentially, meaning more people were writing and, and publishing books than ever before. So really more publishing companies, right, were forming. And so I actually determined based on market trends, this was the most innovative time in the industry since Gutenberg, right? And so that's, these are the reasons ultimately why I ended up buying that company, okay? I'll, I'll go faster, Ron, I promise. No, you're doing great. I, I bought that company. Um, I'll, fast forwarding, I ended up selling that company in 2013, um, got, got my first exit, got a nice little golden egg, um, did another startup, uh, you know, you know, recruited an executive from Microsoft, you know, got, got beta programs running in seven companies that you would know, uh, completely ran out of money in 18 months, oversubscribed the capital raise, all the things like I was not getting it wrong this time, total disaster. Okay. And um, uh, sold, sold the code base for pennies on the dollar. I was like, why am I doing this? When I buy companies, it works. When I start companies, it doesn't. I then went out from 2013 to 2016 and acquired another six companies during that time period in a bunch of different industries. Um, then from, um, I spent about three years uh, writing buy then build after that. Cause now I felt like I was actually on the list of people that were kind of allowed to write the book on the subject. Um, I, I had spent, um, you know, my entire net worth, millions in debt, a decade of my life, uh, done multiple transactions. And then along the way, you know, just sort of picked up like certified M&A advisor and MBA, like st started learning everything I could about the private capital markets. So I wrote by then build and released it in 2018. Awesome. So the book's out now. You've got actually a course that you... Uh... You know, you're and, and yeah. the book took off, right? The, it wasn't just like you released a book. You, you had some background in in book publishing, so you kind of probably knew. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, no, right. I'm I mean, making some assumptions here. You probably knew what it took, yeah, to get a national bestseller, to get attention inside of a book. Um, you had some insight into that, but your book did. Just because you know how to get something done doesn't mean it's going to happen. So that's, right. it, that, that's a testament to what you created inside of the book, Thanks, right? Man. To, to you yeah. know. You, you could know all that stuff and not get Forbes attention, right? Um, there's, there's something to be said for the attention you got around it. Then you created Acquisitions Lab and you're sharing that to what I think, I don't know if it's how long this phrase has been around, but that acquisition entrepreneur mm -hmm. is something that's been kind of tossed around. Mm -hmm. As the earliest I've seen it was about a year or two ago. It might've been before that. But you know, an acquisition entrepreneur is somebody that goes out and buys businesses instead of building them. Yep. is, you know, kind of gaining some headway now. So let's talk a little bit about I kind of what happened that caused Acquisitions Lab and uh, what what makes it unique? What's different between what you guys do at that shop yeah. than your standard LBO model where, you know, somebody can go out and borrow, go to the SBA and ask the SBA how to help them buy, you know, the, or score and say, hey, yeah. score, I want to buy a business. Can you help me fill out the loan docs, right? There's, yeah. there's, there's more to it than filling out loan docs. Yeah. And uh, so let's go there. Yeah. Let, let me also say that I, I'm not going to take credit for this, but I, I, I will say that um, I came up with the term acquisition entrepreneur myself, right? Okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say I coined it, but like, you know, walking around, you know, in by then build, you'll see things like, you know, the, like the, the AE matrix, okay, which is, you know, all of the different growth opportunities um, in, in, in an acquisition, right? And there's, there's really four quadrants, right? It, it took me 36 months to get the damn quadrant, right? 
<laughs> so I spent a lot of time walking around and whiteboarding things. I, and, I, and I did sort of come up with acquisition entrepreneurship just in contrast, right, to like a real estate entrepreneur, or like a, you know, like a digital on- online entrepreneur, or like a startup entrepreneur, right? Um, and, and that's why, because the thing is, is that like a lot of successful entrepreneurs uh, know two things. Once you have a business that's up and running and you're successful, what you know is number one, uh, organic growth is a great way to grow your company. And number two, acquisitions is a great way to grow your company, right? And most people don't really think about it until they're already up and running, right? And by that time, if you're a startup entrepreneur, you probably gave away 49% of your company. You've got a bunch of investors, right? Yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's all this type of things. And then it's like, oh, okay, so I can actually buy this company and grow faster, right? right? And so it's, it's usually when you're in that room that you start to learn about it. And for acquisition entrepreneurship, what, what I was trying to disrupt was this concept of, look, we don't need to be sexy. We don't need to be focused on, you know, starting from scratch. We can, we can actually pull a money ball. And by starting through acquisition, Okay, we're, we're able to build value from there, right? So start by getting on base and then build and grow your company, right? It's interesting is I kind of got into this space. I got into mergers and acquisitions because uh, quite, quite frankly, I, I'm getting old, right? I'll be 50 in 11 days. And um, you only look 49, Ron. Yeah, I'm, I'm God, every, <laughs> every minute of it, right? And uh, so... Uh, Wait, by the way, can I interrupt I, you for a second? I, I just, yeah. I really want to pride you on the fact that you put that much of your own money into it. Most yeah. people will not do that because they want to spend other people's money, right? And the thing is, is that if you take someone's money, you have to give it back to them, right? right? And so the thing is, is like, that, that's, almost, that's almost part of this story is that like, is that raising other people's money who then believe in you and you can't return the money back to them, you better carry that around with you as a very heavy weight. Because I'll tell you that the, the three or about $275,000, $300,000 that was other people's money hurt me more than losing all. I mean, I liquidated my 401k, stock off, everything I could get my hands on to, to, to yeah. fund this thing and keep it running. And I'll be honest, it never was the intent. I thought I was going to get this thing and up and running for a few hundred grand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, any, I still carry more weight to this day, 15, 20 years later, you know, 20 years later now. Um, of the money that those guys believed in me and put in me that I didn't, you know. But you're wasn't okay in, in my right. book. Yeah. Because if you put that much of your own money in, you're saying, I believe in this. I'm putting right. my money where my mouth is and my time. And so they're they're just adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. But you want to hear the flaw in the whole plan just for the fun of the show? Yeah, but right. But like if you if you literally are putting no money in and every right. everyone else funds you and you blow it, like I, I, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. The uh you the punchline punch of it was, is I created an online dating service to keep people honest in their profiles and then turned out and found out that nobody wants to be kept honest in their yeah. online dating profile. <laughs> ended up with a, a, a real estate firm, uh, was having trouble getting it above that million dollar. I did the startup from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. Having problem to get it, getting it above the million dollar mark. So I hired a performance coach. And one of the things he said was all your education, everything you know, you should be playing a bigger game. Why are you messing around with houses? Mm-hmm. So I would go out and flip a house or something. And, you know, the, the check to the bank or to the business would be 40 grand or whatever. 
And uh, you know that sounds great. You know, you made a, you did you did a, a unit of work. You got forty thousand dollars worth of you know profit out of it. Mm-hmm. You think I would be happy? But no, in the back of my he- head, I heard, but you should be playing a bigger game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started figuring out. You know, I, I was coaching real estate and doing stuff like that at the time, and. Um, you know, so I really didn't want to get into apartments and storage units. What I told, what I was coaching other people to step into. So I figured I've got a master's degree in in business. I want to get into, and I used to flip websites for fun way back when. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I would buy a profitable website, make it better, clean it up, give it a new design, get the revenue up, and sell it for a higher multiple. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, you know, I'll go out and hire a mentor and learn this space. And part of interviewing you guys is just to get in the space, get in the conversation, see what's working for different people from different angles. Cause everybody, especially in this mentor series that you're in right now is you guys all have a different approach, a fresh approach, a different angle to solve the problem. And it's not that un, un similar. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not that different from the real estate world. You can get as creative inside yeah. of this. A lot of the contracts are even similar. Yeah. So, um, you can get as creative as you need to get. And, um, to, to get these deals done. Mm-hmm. And the idea of starting with proven revenue, proven marketing strategies, systems and processes, great team, you know, those take sometimes in a startup, those takes, a, you know, six, six months, a year, 12 months, you know, or sorry, 18 months, two years to get that all gelled together and working. Why not step in somewhere where they've been doing it like that for 10 years? That's right. So. Cool. You know, I think the, the other the other components of acquisition entrepreneurship that that you know are really kind of attractive are, you know, when I was first getting started, people would be like, "Oh, you're buying a company, you must be rich," and it's like, actually, <laughs> you can. It's, it's, it, that's like saying, "Oh, you're starting a business, you must be rich." Like you can actually get the money. Like getting the money is easier for a company that has that has you know cash flow. However, uh, more often than not, you're going to have to sign a personal guarantee, which makes people kind of cringe, which comes back to the, well, wait a minute. Are you going to take people's money and go start a business from scratch that has a low, but whatever, that's a different argument. Anyway, the point is, is you don't have to be rich. The the money is readily available. Uh, Number two, um, with the retiring baby boomers, we're looking at an estimated $10 trillion in business value that needs to change hands, okay, by the end of the decade. Okay. And then with the proliferation of the internet, you know, you've got all of these other uh, sort of alternative online assets. All right. And, and then if you pair them together, it's kind of interesting, right? Because it's sort of like when the baby boomers found their product market fit and created their businesses, the internet didn't exist. So I'll even be so bold as to suggest that most of them probably have some low hanging fruit in terms of converting them to the new economy. Okay. Um, number two, the return on investment is unparalleled to any other asset class, okay? Uh, The private capital markets have had the highest returns of any other asset class for decades. And I mean, it's like six decades in a row, right? right? So acquisition entrepreneurship really borrows, obviously, from entrepreneurship, like get in there, run a company, but also borrows heavily from private equity, right? So this has already been, been proven. The business model has been in existence. It just doesn't look like entrepreneurship right? This moves the cards from the private equity firm back to the operator, to the entrepreneur. Uh, so you've got um, uh, a huge opportunity, okay? You've got uh, a high ROI. You've got um, what I call a margin of safety found in the, in the decades of operation and the existing cash flow and all these other things that, that you're doing, right? Um, and then the last thing is 
you know, with your with your experience in, in real estate, it's real easy for you to understand, wait a minute, this is sort of like real estate economics in entrepreneurship. So so this is kind of where it gets sort of interesting. When you buy a building, okay, you put a little down, you get it, you get a loan, then the then the renter comes in, okay, and and builds up the equity. All right. So you get this equity buildup in, in the building, in this case in the business, the customers pay you revenue and you build up the equity. But the, the, the thing is, is that, um, first of all, if we were to convert, you know, let's just say SDE multiples to cap rates in real estate, you're looking at like a six, seven cap rate. If you were right. to use the same term, you're talking about 25 to 35% cap rate. I mean, it's just night and day, yeah. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Real estate has the advantage of like, um, oh, I totally screwed it up. I'm so sorry. There's a building, go get it. Okay. Businesses tend to not have that same uh, downside protection, okay? So you have to look at the intangibles. You have to say the margin of safety is not in bricks and mortar. It's in decades of operation. It's in the knowledge that's in these people. It's in the hundreds of customers that they have. It's in the decades of deliverable. It's in the product market fit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? But the thing is, is that it's the appreciation value. So in real estate, it's kind of considered passive and it's more like, you're kind of doing the minimum, so to speak, to, to kind of keep the thing operating because there's not a lot you can do to grow, to appreciate the asset. The, the out external environment kind of has to do that. And over time, what are we going to get, Ron? 2% two, 2 maybe? You're, you're yeah, all... especially in this market, right? Where I'm at in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 2 3% per year. On a, business, <coughs> on a business, okay, not called buy then chill. It's called buy, then build, because you need to build value, okay? And you can double the value of that asset that you acquired over the next three to five to seven years after you buy it. So for me, the, the big thing that makes the big difference is, is not the margin of safety. It's not the built-in ROI. It's not, it's not the fact that you know, you've, you've got these real estate economics. It's the fact that you have control as an active investment, to increase the appreciation value. And as you increase the appreciation value, other things happen. Ron, you touched on multiple expansion, right? I mean, if you're able to, if you're able to hit certain earnings milestones, you're gonna get multiple expansion because you're playing in a different ballpark, right? And so, so um, you know, a lot of times in, 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 uh, uh, in startups, we like to say like, oh man, we're gonna 10X, right? That's like our favorite phrase, right? Right. Well, if you actually run the numbers on, on acquisition entrepreneurship, it's sort of like saying we're gonna 27X, like right. in short order, right? You know, so, so it's, it's, um, it's got all of those different kind of components at play. It's interesting as I like to, people ask me, well, why don't you just go back to real estate? You really know that well. And it, like, why are you thinking about buying businesses or, you know, You've got to, or even better, they'll say, you got a degree, why don't you just go build something? And I was like, you know, when I build something, it's, it's for me to figure out, me to fund, me to, 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 you know, build the team and all that. So it's for me, to, you know, like to spend a year, two years, three years trying to figure it out, grow it. When I buy something, it's for me to screw it up, right? It's already up and running. I'd have to do something drastic, you know, and make some major errors, theoretically, in order to damage that company, it's up running. It's got systems and uh, operating procedures. It's got, you know, people way more qualified to run it than I am, most likely sitting in there. They've been doing it for 10 years or more. I was looking at one that, you know, the uh, last year they had, you know, they've been in operation for 63 years. There's people that are second generation employee at that company. Mm -hmm. Their dads work there, mm -hmm. right? It's all they know, right? 
you think I know more about pouring concrete, you know, into a mold than somebody that's been doing it second generation. And dad came home every day talking about what he messed up and what he fixed. It's just not going to happen. So I really like the idea of jumping into something where, you know, if I listen to the employees, I listen to the market, I, you know, and use my marketing skills, I'd have to do something bad to mess this thing up. Right. And there's, there's some risk and there's some factors and other stuff you got to look out for. I think it's a game changer. I honestly think that, you know, it, it worries me a little bit that we get, you know, get too many people out there and all they're talking about is buying businesses. Then, you know, who's going to build them for us to buy at some point. But uh, <laughs> there's not enough buyers. I know it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. I know it doesn't feel like that, but there's actually not enough buyers. Yeah. Right. So uh, the, I don't, it, it won't be in my lifetime. We'll have to worry about that. I don't think anyway. Can I, can I, there's two things that came to mind as, as you said that. Yeah, I, go for it. I, I wouldn't mind. And, and, and I, I want to talk about the startup thing because I, you know, I think that, um, you know, my recent startup, we started it uh, right at the end of 2019 was the acquisition lab. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the concept here um, uh, was that, you know, af- after I wrote by then build, people kind of followed me around. Like I remember I was, I, I was at an entrepreneurship through acquisition conference um, and I was um, at the urinal and the guy goes, are you Walker Dybul? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm here, you. And I was like, I'm peeing right now. Can I just have a minute? <laughs> I'll be with you. Let me wrap this up first. I'm, At flattered. Least I'm flattered, but like not the right, like your timing's off just a little. But you know, this was kind of a common occurrence. It was sort of like, hey, will you help me find and buy a business? And it's like, no, I won't. And here's why. Um, to, to run someone through a process like that, okay? I know the people that do it. Um, on the cheap end, it's about 125 grand, okay? Usually with a success fee attached. But here's the thing. Um, if I spend a year with you or 18 months with you and, and you're going to pay me that kind of money, I still, uh, I, I, I can't guarantee to you any kind of result, right? I can't do it. And so what I did was I said, okay, how, how do we do this? And the concept, actually, if I rewind, I got the idea to write by then build in 2004. I got the idea to build the acquisition lab uh, in 2011. Okay. And the thing was, was I had a customer with a company called Veritas Prep, okay? And what they did was, uh, we printed all of their books and materials, and what they did was they provided elite GMAT education. In other words, in other words, if you wanted to go to an Ivy League business school, okay, you've got to take the GMAT as the exam, right? Now, what are you going to do? Like, go out and do Kaplan or Princeton Review, just like everyone else who's going to KU, right? That's where I went undergrad, right? You know, so it's it's like, it's like, what you you can't use the same materials, right? And so what they did was they created an elite program that was um, specifically geared for success in that segment, okay? And just like Facebook, they sort of targeted uh, that, that upper upper, you know, rung, and then ended up spreading to more mass market over time. Okay. With the acquisition lab, um, I, you know, I almost feel like we're the only company that turns revenue away. Uh, 25% of people in 2021 that wanted to give us money, we turned them away and said, you can't get in. Now that's, that's kind of rough, right? But the point is, is that if we're going to engineer success, what I want to do is create world-class curriculum, I want to create group coaching that is meaningful, okay? I want to create the tools uh, and, and support in order to get that done. And the biggest thing is we need a community that's actually going to do it. And so the thing is, is when I get into these cohorts of, the own, of my own acquisition lab, I'm intimidated by the people in the room. 
right? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, these people are accomplished people, right? And um, they're really trying to figure out how to do it, okay? And so the thing is, is that even to this day, um, I think I did, I took a very, very small amount of money out in 2021, but I'm not in it for the profits. We're turning people away. I'm in it for the love of the game. And the plan is to create the elite offering for, for people that actually want to get this done, right? And so when I look back at what we just accomplished, you know, we, we got, um, we brought in 150 new members. We had over 30 acquisitions in 2021. So just looking at that ratio, to me, I'm, I'm happy with that, right? I, th I think it's about 35 acquisitions. We're trying to get our arms around it. Um, and the average, the average acquisition was about 2 million. So, you know, you can run those numbers, but it's like, we just, you know, we potentially just closed like 70 million in acquisitions in the last, on the, just me on the buy side. I've got another X on the sell side, but, but, you know, um, you know, so that's, that's something that I feel like we've got a foothold to do something good. In. And, and the concept here is it's meant to be incredibly affordable, right? I mean, it's, it's about what my MBA students pay for, for their class. Right. And so, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean this to sound like an advertisement. It's no, more no, about, it's more about all of those swings at bat and all mm. of those times being like, I'm going to create this market out of nothing. Okay. What I'm trying to say is, is that like, I feel like when the acquisition lab came, the market was already created by the things that I had done before it. So then the timing, the demand just sort of surfaced. Right. And so it started to feel like when you start a business, okay, I'm not saying that every business should be started with an acquisition. Some of them need to be started from scratch, right? But the thing is, is that like um, um, when it's time to start from scratch, if you can create that demand first, it's almost equivalent to being able to buy an, buy an existing company because it's got that demand going. So if you can get that demand teed up first on both sides, uh, that's that's the potentially the pathway to success. So I want to circle back to something. You mentioned that you had 30 acquisitions on a student base of 150. So for those listeners who are listening to this and they don't understand this um, coaching or entrepreneurial space where you're teaching somebody else how to do something, it's a 3% success rate in, in industry standard. So in real estate gurus sell courses, 3% of the people who buy the course actually use the course to buy a house. When, and then that's almost any other like, you know, informational informa info based business where they're teaching you how to do something. 90s, I think it's 95 to 97%. I, you know, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm always okay with that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the industry standard. So does this to show where you're at, you know, at 30, 30 closes plus, you know, on a group base of 150, it shows a couple of things, shows you select your students. Well, right. You're not just picking anybody that has a wallet mm -hmm. and it shows that you've got, you know, you care about your community well enough to walk them through the process and, and see that they're getting something done. Um, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's abnormal, but there's, there's something there. I mean, that is, I mean, you know, sell, all sales techniques aside, you got me curious, right? And I've already paid for a couple of these mentoring courses. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, we'd love to have you. And, 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 you know, I, I mean, the thing is, is, is like, I, I think that, you know, look, I mean, every business has competitors. Like there's other people out there with similar products, substitutes. Um, and, and the thing is, is out of all of them, I'll, 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 raise my hand and, and, and nominate myself as the absolute worst marketer of all of them. Like, like, I feel like we're the quietest, you know, like, like we're not, we're not trying to, you know, like fill cohorts with large volumes of people. Um, but it's, it's, it's been, 
all about kind of focusing on building the right foundation. And I, and I, I feel like we maybe got this startup thing finally right. The big irony is uh, it's a startup around helping people buy businesses instead of start them because starting is punishment for people that don't understand statistics, <laughs> which I guess is me. So inside of one of the things I was curious is, you know, we talk a lot about acquisition entrepreneur, but the money's truly made on the exit, like the life changing money's made on the exit, right? So I yeah. call this, the reason I call this how to exit, and yeah. we talk a lot about acquisitions, yeah. is acquisition is a part of the process in my book, right? It's, Absolutely. it's, not step one, because there's a lot of pre-work you got to do on the search and the valuation and the offers and negotiations, but acquisition happens early on. And then there's the growth period and, you know, whatever, you know, you're going to use to, to add value, your value add period, and then the exit. So how to exits about like, what does it look like to, to have life altering, you know, exits? So monetary events. So let's talk a little bit about that inside of your course. When these, when you've got students now, you've got 30 students who have bought a business. What yes, do we do? Yeah, but yes, sorry. So that was the first initial phase. So 30 plus students. Let's do it that. Cause I know you're above that now. What is, what is there? Are they still in the group? Are they still working with you? Or are they still working on the build? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's funny. You're, you're asking. So um, within our group, they ended up self creating something called the closer circle. And I, what I'm, I was in EO for a number of years and I'm, and I'm starting to notice it looks a lot, it's starting to look a lot like that. And um, uh, they just decided, Hey, we all want to get together. And they're sort of forcing my hand to doing like a value acceleration uh, kind of conference. And um, I'm going to call it more of a mastermind than a conference because it's obviously a mini group within a group. Um, but, uh, we've just, we've just booked the dates and we've got a location and like that's happening. And so it's the first time I've ever put on a conference, but that's, that's about to happen. So, so, so it's emerging and, and, uh, uh, the, the, the concept was to call it something like, like boardroom, you know, cause it's sort of like all the people coming together to work on their business. Um, so it's at the early stages. We'll see what happens there, Ron. That's just but, a natural progression, right? You know, your books, it even says buy then build. So, build, yeah. <laughs> but but your software, but your, you know, your offering right now says acquisitions lab. So I was just curious if the build was in there. Yeah. Yeah. It so, sounds like you know, whether you want it to be or not, it's going to be right. It's happening. It's happening. So, so, so one, one other thing that, that I want to, I actually want to make clear is that I spend a lot of time with buyers, right? right. I, I mean, you know, all the podcasts I, I do are, 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 are on the buy side, the books on the buy side, the acquisition labs on the buy side. Um, the, the, you know, my, my content is all around the buy side. I work probably 40 plus hours a week with sellers, right? And, and here's, here's why I'm mentioning this, okay? Because the thing is, is that like, I realized along the way, I still have companies that I own, okay? I, um, and, and the thing is, is I realized along the way, I am more passionate about transactions than I am about operating my own companies. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is like, you gotta know what you're good at. And the thing is, is I wanted to do a successful acquisition for so long and tried so hard and put so much of my money and my debt and my net worth and my time into it that ultimately I just got really good at doing transactions. And so the thing is, is that um, being able to help an entrepreneur exit their business, okay? I've had a couple exits myself. Ron, as you know, it is a glorious day. It is a glorious day. Okay, now here's the thing, here's the thing. 
there's also a buyer in these transactions, okay? And the thing is, is that if I take a deal on as a broker, okay, and this is, this is you know, I need to be careful. I, it, you know, do not, you know, I'm not telling anyone to buy any listing on brokering, okay? But, but the point is, is that like, if, when I take something on, it's like, okay, I view this as a sound business. I view this as a great exit for, for the, the seller, but I also view this as a great value for the buyer. And so the, the value has to be on both sides. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, like, like, um, in this space, okay, I can, I can find myself getting a little, a little aggravated because it's really easy to say things like, oh man, when you sell, we're going to sell for the highest multiple. We're going to sell for, to the strategic buyer. We're going to sell to the, you know, what out to that, to that one person in all of the world that is going to buy this company for the most money. And we're going to make them buy the most money. And then we're going to talk about buying companies. So we're going to say, we're not going to pay anything. This is going to be, you know, zero risk to you. And like, we're going to use seller financing and we're going to do all this other stuff. We're going to make everyone else pay on this other valuation that you don't have to pay because you're working the deal. Both are true. Both are true. Both are extremes. Okay. Right. And, the, and the art, the art is finding a deal that works for everybody. Okay. And it doesn't have to be found in lack of knowledge arbitrage. It can be found in the private capital market and how it works and functions. Okay. In other words, I've got a lot of private equity moving into certain areas and I'm telling my financial buyers, do not go there. Don't go into that space right now. There's no reason for you to party. You're, you're not gonna, you're not, you're gonna be taking on too much risk for you. But for these buyers over here, this is fitting their strategy. It's fitting what they do. Okay. And I can make them all compete and drive a higher price. And it's still a good deal for them. Yeah. There's some really hot stuff, right? Like for me, um, industries I'm not going to touch or weird ones. Like I'm not interested in restaurants whatsoever. I think they have a low profit margin and they're hard to manage, but, uh, inside of the tech industry, software of the service is to me is like if they know what they're doing they're overpriced they're getting crazy multiples and god bless them for doing it. if i was trying to sell a software as a service company i'd want the high multiple too right and then the uh, facebook stores or whatever those things are getting crazy you know multiple bid high you know high multiple offers uh you know i'm out there looking at like the non-sexy businesses right the mm -hmm. you know uh, home services pest control you know just the various things out there that generate cash, um, provide jobs to local communities. Um, I'm not opposed to software companies and stuff like that, but the the SaaS, I'd love to find a good software company that has a product we could turn into mm -hmm. a software as a service that you could, you know, update their technology. Maybe they're an 80s or 90s company that's been around for a long time and like they just do the things they've always done and they've never moved into that space. You exactly know. what I did. It's exactly yeah. what I did, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Sorry, Ron. Go ahead. No, it's, uh, but so I'm not saying I'm opposed to software, but as far as if you're already a sexy SaaS company and you're getting crazy offers, there's, uh, you know, I've heard rumors and stories of anywhere from 10x to 30x multiples on SaaS software. I'm not it, in that game. Yeah, and look, I I I, I understand, and and yeah. I gotta say that, um, you know, I never went that direction either. I mean, look. If you want to make it make sense, I can make it make sense for you as a buyer, right? Because because like SaaS is interesting because it's either it's either really really valuable or completely useless, and the, right. I think the challenge is that most people can't tell the difference. 
most brokers can't tell the difference, right? They just say, oh, SaaS, boom, right? No, that's not how it works. And so, and so you get a lot of bad ones with, with, high, with high bids. But, but the truth is, is that the good ones, um, the reason they're expensive is because they're using um, LTV, uh, lifetime value, as the unit of measure of value of that, of that unit, of that uh, ac customer acquisition. And as a result, they look at the, the value of customer acquisition, the value of lifetime, and then as long as like the rule of 30, you're able to lose money and go on a land grab because you're basically pulling like an Amazon where you like lose money for a decade, but then you emerge and you're like the most profitable person ever. You just have to split the switches, right? And so th there's, an, there's a certain economics. And what you're pointing at is it doesn't cash flow. And that's correct. But the way that you buy those, and in, in my opinion, is is and the reason I never did was because of what you just said, right? It's sort of like it doesn't make sense because it doesn't cash flow. But if you go raise a fund and have a strategy of saying we're gonna roll up B2B SaaS, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. You just need you you need way less debt and way more patient equity, right? And if you if you're a cash buyer, it's it's actually a beautiful purchase, right? But you gotta know what you're doing. You gotta be you need patient capital to do it. Yeah, you gotta be a little more patient than what I'm at. Maybe, maybe on my uh, after I've exited a few times and I'm just flush with cash and I'm trying to figure out what to do, it I might play in that game. Uh, I like the roll up space, yeah. but uh, you know the other one, uh, the uh, the reason I'm kind of not for the Facebook stores, uh, Facebook stores, uh, sorry, the uh, uh, Amazon stores is you, I don't play in any realm where one single party can can really mess up your day, right? You know, yeah. all the guys that have those Amazon stores are one Amazon decision from being disrupted. It's like it's like uh, 10, 15 years ago when it, AdSense was uh, working, you know, and uh, you know, the way it originally came out, you could almost be blind and make money and, and, you know, not just blind, like blind to business and make money on AdSense on a click uh, or an ad out arbitrage, you mm -hmm. know, put up some content, throw up some ads and be killing it. And, um, you know, Google went out there and did that, you know, algorithm change for and killed off all the made for AdSense web pages. Mm -hmm. Right. There are tons of websites. I even I kind of that's what Excite.com was before at home bottom was like hey, they, they just they they were made for AdSense. They were made for, you know, throwing some ads here and there. Uh, it was prior to sorry, it was prior to that, that space. But we were doing banner ads and stuff like that. And, you know thinking we were going to make a profit on, on, you know, that I, I wish they had a, one of the engineers actually went over to Google and I don't know if that's when they started placing the ads the way they did over there. But, um, I, I know he was on their team. So, uh, maybe it would have been a different story altogether if they would have listened to him when he was over at excite. But the, uh, that said, you know, I don't want to be in any realm to where there's a single player out there, a single boss guy who can, you know, flip a switch and, and, and ruin your day. So are there any industries that you like for your students and stuff, you just like you avoid like a plague or is it just kind of open for whatever they're willing to look at? Interesting. So, so, um, well, look, I mean, what, what you're kind of harping on is, you know, what, what, what the, the sort of high level thing that, that we obviously cover is going to be Porter's five forces. Right. And just sort of trying to understand like, where does the power lie in this equation? And so when you buy a company, you need to understand like who has the power. And if you buy an Amazon business, right? I, I think me as a reseller, we were the first people to figure out, wait a minute, Amazon is worse than Walmart, right? 
and then and then all of a sudden then it was the 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 content sites right and so the the big question is are the individual brands next are they going to find out that amazon's you know horrible to work with um maybe i mean i mean their their fulfillment costs certainly make them the worst fulfillment company to work with on the planet but but you know i think it's yet to be seen you know i'll I'll stay away from that that rabbit hole but but the you know the the but what you're saying directionally is absolutely accurate, right? So it's kind of like, where does the power lie? Is there supplier power? Is there high competition? Is there platform power? You know, what what exactly is the part of the equation? And I was working with a seller and, you know, we went under LOI and it fell apart, letter of intent. We went, in, we went under letter of intent again and it fell apart. We went under letter of intent a third time and it fell apart. And we went under letter of intent a fourth time and we eventually got it closed. And this was like this, legendary sort of process and like it was it was i promise you ron i would have bought the damn thing it was like the best business i've ever seen kind of a thing and i was i I mean you would have bought it based on what you were just talking about right so i mean it was so good but it was in this sort of like in between the like um five and ten million dollar uh uh sale price so it was in a kind of a you know no one really parties in that space right and so there's part of the you know here's the point uh, the point is, is the seller said to me after all this disappointment, he said, you know, I, I really was, you know, maybe kind of emphasizing the wrong thing the first time around. I was really emphasizing like purchase price, you know, valuation, et cetera. What I should have been focused on is sort of like certainty and speed to closing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can I put you on a video like that? <laughs> because I, like, like what, you know, one of the things we talk about is as a buyer, you have to, you have to have the confidence and admit the confidence of, of, you know, confidence and speed to closing. That's all we've got, right? But he, what he said was, I'm not perfect as a seller. My business isn't perfect. All these buyers, Walker, that you're parading in front of me aren't perfect. And it's all about just kind of lining up the imperfections, right? And finding that that connection that goes all the way through. And I thought it was a really insightful point. And the reason I bring it up now is because your question was, what industry, right? And here's the thing. I think that most especially first time buyers, if I had to pick the number one thing that they get wrong, okay, when they're looking at businesses to buy, it's that they look at the business as if it's like in something that is intrinsic to itself, okay, and that everything there is sort of, um, how would I say, permanent. And whatever's happened in the past is reflective of, you know, what's going to happen in the future, which, by the way, is why we buy things. I mean, you have to say, you know, even though that's in all caps. But, but the thing is, is that like what you get wrong is that the day after you buy that company, you are the CEO of that company. You are the owner of that company. You are the head and the brain of that company. You are spearheading where it's going. OK, the, the magic is not in de-risking the acquisition. The magic is in figuring out what the hell you bring to the table as a CEO and jumping in and taking that company to the next level. And you can't see that when you're looking at a business or an industry. Okay. You are the most important part of the equation, not the business. I love it. Now we're at the top of the hour. That's a great spot to wrap it up and tell people how to get a hold of you. So let's start with that. I, uh, I love that the uh, the you as the buyer are the critical component of whether or not this is going to work, right? So right. I'm going to share how to reach out to you. Uh, you're on LinkedIn. Uh, it's on your LinkedIn.com, yeah. and it's uh, Walker spelled W-A-L-K-E-R. Your last name is spelled 
D-E-I-B-E-L. You can find him there. And uh, so you can search for him on that. Or the, if you're watching the video, you can go to YouTube and watch the video. It's live on the screen. Um, and uh, that will be in the show notes if you're listening to this on any of the podcast channels. And then his website is buythenbuild.com. And you can find him on that. And uh, I don't have it on the screen, but he also has Acquisition Lab if you want to apply to be part of his program. Well, and, and Ron, I'll, let me just throw out there. We've, we've got tons of free stuff on buythenbuild.com. We've got, a, we've got a resources tab. We've got videos. And there's all kinds of free stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about the space, it's, it's one place where, where you can go just for free stuff. Awesome. That sounds great. I'm going to dig through that, too, because uh, I haven't downloaded it all and looked at it all. And I'm... Uh, information uh i guess you call it information junkie i want to yeah. i want to absorb all the knowledge i can absorb and then you put it to play and in, in, in the next deal i get a hold of i appreciate you being on the show hang on for a couple seconds after this and we'll chat and uh, thank you for being here thanks ron i really had fun all right the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind the Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T-I-E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind